Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, VA fam, I can't tell you how excited I am to introduce today's or this week's guest. She is someone who I feel like I I just don't know. I'm embarrassed to say that I I wasn't familiar with her work until until more recently. But when I tell you I am now a super fan, I am now a super fan. Her name is Minda Hartz. Minda is a workplace and equity consultant. She's also a best-selling and award-winning author of books like The Memo and Right Within, which both have become just treasure troves of insights and strategies and real world tips for women of color struggling to find their place in the modern day workplace. So you've got to check out Minda's books. However, she's also got a brand new book coming out as well that we're going to talk about called You Are More Than Magic for Young Adults. And that's going to be released this spring. I think like right now it's out. You can go buy it right now. You Are More Than Magic. Minda's also a professor at NYU Wagner. She is a frequent guest on MSNBC and she's been featured all over the place from ABC to Fast Company, Time magazine. She's a sought after speaker for companies like Liberty Mutual, Nike, Google, you know, no big deal. She's out there. And in 2020, she was named the top voice for equity in the workplace by LinkedIn. You can also check out Minda's podcast called Secure the Seat. She is our podcast sister. Yeah, so definitely head over to MindaHearts.com and check out all of her incredible work after the show. Check the show notes. We'll have links to all of her amazing content where you can find her books. But for right now, Minda is joining us on Brown Ambition. Minda, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Big fan of you and Tiffany. Um, Thank you for the work that you do. Oh, likewise. How long have you been in this space? And why haven't I heard of you? This is my I know it's my fault. But I want to know all about how I know people who are usually in your space have fascinating stories. And I want to hear sort of like your origin story of how you became someone who is now getting hired by the likes of Google and Nike to hopefully come in and help them fix and better retain and, and develop and grow women of color talent. Yeah, well, thank you for for highlighting my work because like you said um everybody may not have read the memo they may not know it right um and sometimes as black women and brown women are we're erased in different spaces so it's podcasts like yours it's us amplifying each other so that people know that this work exists so we don't have to suffer in silence but it really the work that i started doing um i started back in 2015 when it wasn't as popular to talk about you know how black women and brown women were experiencing the workplace. And it was shortly after I had read uh, Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, that I thought, wow, you know, there's some great advice in this book, but it's not talking to me. It's not talking about the experiences that I'm having. And so I really just thought about, well, what about women in the workplace? And why aren't we talking about all women? Why are we just talking about women in dominant majority? And so um, I really just set out to say, 
let me start creating content around some of the pain points that we experience. And I started doing that uh, by via a blog in 2015, and then eventually um, started doing these career boot camps in New York City uh, around black and brown women, how to negotiate, stuff like that. And then eventually the books came, but it really, my origin story was sitting in my car, Mandy, crying uh, after 15 years of being in corporate America and saying, is this what my life is like? Is this what I have to do to survive in the workplace? And I wanted to make the workplace better than I found it. And that's exactly what I've been trying to do. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, 2015, that's when we launched Brown Ambition. And I love the idea that we were <laughs> like, um, and obviously Tiffany's not here, but she's always here in spirit. Yeah. I love the idea that we, that the memo was taking off and Brown Ambition was taking off. And you know what's incredible? I know you mentioned until more recently, maybe it wasn't as popular to talk about being Black women and women of color in corporate America, but I, I've never been so proud of the work that we did back when in 2015, when it wasn't, you know, as popular when the all the media attention wasn't there, and we weren't on all the lists and stuff. Because it was like, we, we set the groundwork and planted those seeds. Tiffany always uses that analogy of planting seeds. So that when like, we I, I feel like your your phone must have been ringing off the proverbial hook. You know, after the summer of 2020, it seems like a lot of because there's so few of us. It's like, okay, who's a person of color and who can talk about the workplace and about women? And okay, Minda Hart's done. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, who's podcasting about it? Brown Ambition and like two other people, right? So, I mean, it must feel. How how does that feel? How does it feel to now have like all this attention? Um, and do you feel like okay, like I've laid the groundwork for this. I'm ready for this moment to capitalize for lack of a better word, on this newfound interest? Yeah, it's, you know, Mandy, it's bittersweet, right? And my life did change a lot um, after the um, unfortunate death of George Floyd, uh, because to your point, when companies were starting to scramble and like, what are we going to do? They're like, who's out there doing this, right? And um, and when the old saying is, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. I was already doing this work and it was, I had, the memo had came out six or months or eight months before uh, George Floyd, somewhere around that time period. And so it was just like the perfect culmination of, yes, I've been talking about this and let's dig in more. Now let's move to some some demonstration and not just talk. And so things change. You know, I, I remember coming off the road in February of 2020, doing my last in-person speaking engagement. And I didn't know what life was going to be like once COVID had kind of shut things down. I was living in in New York City. And then all of a sudden, Things were a little slow and then just the calls were coming, coming. And I've been, you know, busy ever since in a, in a way. But what I'm happy about is we finally get to center black and brown women in the career narrative the way that it should have been centered all along. Right. So now that I do have the microphone in many spaces, I make no apologies for it because I'm, I'm like, this is what needs to be said. This is what we're going to do. And if there are women who haven't yet found their voices in the workplace, I hope that our stories will inspire them to activate their voice because we all have a voice. We just have to decide how we want to use it. It's such crazy timing and like serendipitous timing that your book had come out right before the pandemic and the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and the list goes on tragically. Talk to me about your book. I mean, having come out before the pandemic, was is there anything you would have written differently? Or if you could add a chapter today, what would you imagine adding to the book now, having now come on the other side of this pandemic? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because before uh, the George Floyd murder, 
companies would, they'd be like, well, what are you going to say first? You know, give me a script. Like we, you know, racism doesn't exist here. Our, our black women are thriving. They never tell us anything differently. I'm like, okay, but do they feel safe enough to tell you how they're really feeling? That's a different question just because they haven't said anything. And so for me, it was very much kind of this push and pull. And then once that situation happened in 2020, then companies who were like afraid to have a conversation or buy the books for their ERGs were like, wait, come on in, come talk about it, talk about it at its full extent. And so I was like, okay, now that you're ready to talk about it, we all should be ready to talk about it too. Right. And it was just this weird kind of juxtaposition. And so um, for me, it was again saying, what is the main thing has always been the main thing, centering black and brown women in the workplace. And so I just doubled down even more on the content. And it actually allowed me to write two more books. I wrote Right Within and You Are More Than Magic during 2020. Um, and then they came out um, in 2021 and 2022. But those were an extension of the memo because I thought about, okay, what are the roles, ro rules to engagement, right? What are the office politics? How do you build your network? All of the different things. You're not going crazy. I want the memo to affirm you. But really, the extension of the memo was right within to say, you've been exposed to all of these racial experiences. You may not understand how much it's harmed you, but you can be free of that, right? Because we want you to be your healthiest life. You're not going to be able to be authentic and do the office politics if you haven't actually tapped into what's going on and how you're feeling about the environments that you're in. That's part of what you can control. And so for me, I often thought about the memo, what I'd add, but I'm like, you know what? The extra chapter is right within. The extra chapter is you are more than magic. You Okay. I didn't realize the right within came out after the memo. So you just like don't sleep, I guess. <laughs> that, that, there's, there's a little bags under my eyes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's prolific. Two books in two years. My goodness. So, okay. Talk about the right within. What? So what's the take on that? Is that more, here's actual actionable strategies on, on sort of like how to survive, you know, now that we kind of all know what the issues are. Now here's how to survive and thrive. Right within, I took it from uh, Lauren Hill's How You Gonna Win If You Ain't Right Within. And I thought about what are the things that, so for example, when I was in my former life, I spent 15 years in my industry and there wasn't a day I didn't go to work where I wasn't racially aggressed in some way, shape or form, macro or micro, but I had started to normalize the behavior, right? So when someone would say, oh, the black girl or this or that, any kind of derogatory type of experiences, I'd be like, oh, well, I guess that's just Scott being Scott today, right? So I just learned to sweep it under the rug. And I didn't realize how damaging that was to me in my life, how I saw myself, my worth. And then you think about the people you go home to or that you engage with that love you. They're not getting the most healthiest pieces of yourself because you've been in this harm, this fight or flight survival mode. And I really wanted black and brown women to think about what freedom looks like. Freedom from being the angry black woman, the feisty Latina, the docile Asian, like we can control being free, no longer confined by those things. And so right within was the inner work, right? And I talked about how I had experienced so much racial aggression in the workplace that I started to get panic attacks and depression and how I sought to, to find healing. I invite women to heal from those experiences so they don't, so we don't take them with us. Yeah, I think the, the the hardest thing about I, the 2020, just 2020 in general and the pandemic and everything was not, was sort of having to confront, confront all of that and to acknowledge sort of what you had been through. And I mean, your experience sounds truly 
horrendous. I felt like I had the fortune of working at companies that were a little bit better than most, it seems like, at at least not, you know, egregiously. It wasn't like a lot of egregious racism. But then even for me, I think there's like the reflection time and what did you go through and kind of acknowledging it, that can be really painful. And that can make you, like you mentioned earlier, these companies now want us, oh, we're gonna, we, we want to hear about it now. Talk to us. We're ready to acknowledge it. But for me, it's like, but are we, are we ready to talk about it, Black women, you know, and do we have to do it on your time? Yeah, you know, that, what, part. <laughs> that part. <laughs> You're ready, but like, this is traumatic and painful and not necessarily something that even we've confronted and like internally, you know. So for those of us who've maybe and it's been, you know, not I'm not saying that everyone had those points of reflection and, and came to their aha moment in 2020, maybe you've been working on it since then, but it's been a couple of years. So I mean, what kind of advice do you have for those of us who now have acknowledged it and it may feel like we want to start healing? What can work? What can help? Yeah, you know, one of the things that I hear from a lot of readers of Right Within is that they didn't even realize they needed to heal because they had normalized all of the experiences, be it, you know, we've all been to the doctor and the doctor will say, where's your pain point? Is it a 10 or is it a one? You know, and we all have those experiences. But if you only have experienced a three in the workplace, those threes add up and it's painful right? Um, Being mistaken for the other Black woman every day or someone not giving you an opportunity to use your voice or being overlooked for the promotion, all of that is painful. And we often know the reasons why it's that way, right? But what do we tell ourselves? You know, just work hard, just keep your head down. This is what it's like for Black and brown women in the workplace. But we don't have to pass on those old tools of survival anymore, right? Um, We want the next generation and our current generations to have the tools they need to thrive and not just survive, but we first have to acknowledge that harm has been caused. And so one of the things that um, Right Within is a little bit different than the memo is that I provide a lot of different frameworks for when you're, one thing I call, uh, Mandy, healing while in hell, because not all of us are able to leave (laughs) where we are right now. Um, We can't just quit, but how do we still focus on the things that we can control, right? But first of all, the number one point is acknowledgement. You can't heal from what you're not willing to confront. And I think for some of us, we never even called it racism because it was never even safe to call it that in the workplace, right? Even to utter that something was racist. Up until two years ago, we, you know, it's funny, dominant culture in the workplace will say, don't play the race card, don't make it about race. And then after George Floyd, let's make it about race. Let's talk about all the things. So it's these weird things. And as, you know, black and brown people, people of color, we just, it's a very, jarring to be in this situation. We're trying to figure out what all this means for us. And so right within is that soft place for Black and brown women to land. We just need that space to be able to land, to be able to be thoughtful. I even talk about therapy and how that was a very big uh, part of my healing and still part of my maintenance. Okay, BA fam, we're going to take a quick break and be back with more of my conversation with the incredible Minda Hearts. Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. 
Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, 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 BA fam. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. That's incredible. This is according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 150 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Okay, it's smart. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition. Just go to Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, we are back. Here's more of my conversation with Minda Hartz. So you talk about therapy. And I think one of the things that um, is important in healing, too, of course, is is talking to experts and finding the right therapist and that's also a journey in and of itself. You know, one of the things that I found was I didn't realize I had kind of reached my patient's limit for talking about race issues at work and women and how companies could, how my company in particular could be doing better because I had been talking about it and I was like kind of like resentful about it when it was the summer of 2020. And I was like, you know what? Y'all deal with this. And then within the next eight months, I was gone. <laughs> but for women who are at work and maybe they've got some energy, or they feel like, okay, maybe I, I'm ready to talk about it. How do we make it, how do we protect ourselves? You know, if you want to spend time, whether it's, you know, doing the town halls or talking to your managers or trying to make things better, like you said, for the generation to come in the workplace, how do we protect ourselves in the workplace? And even if we're ready to talk about it and the company says they're ready to talk about, is there anything we should be, you know, weary of or just kind of be watching our backs a little bit? You know, I, I think that the one thing that I always say is that we have options. And I think sometimes as black and brown women, we feel like we don't have options, that we just kind of have to go with status quo. And I think now we're at a position where we can say what we mean without saying it mean. So what I mean by that is if we do want to engage in race, class, gender, whatever the, the case may be, whatever intersection, we can decide that that's what we want to do. But if we feel like we want to tap out, we don't want that, let the DEI person or somebody else uh, handle that, I'm going to be over here doing my work and doing my own healing, then we also should give ourselves space to do that as well. One of the things that right within uh, in the dedication, it says to Black women who were told they had to be strong for everybody but themselves. It's time that we no longer have to center everybody else's experiences if that's not congruent with what we want. And I think we can create the boundaries. Part of healing, in my opinion, is creating boundaries with people. So letting people know what good likes, good looks like to us. So if we don't feel comfortable engaging, we can use language like, you know, I don't feel like this is a psychologically safe environment for me to have this conversation right now. But um, when I'm ready, I'll be happy to to let you know that, right? And I think, again, a lot of our colleagues, Mandy, they will tell us in a heartbeat 
what's working for them, what they don't like, the copy paper's out, there's no more filters for the coffee maker, you know, like they have no problems saying what they want to us. And I feel like it's time for us to recenter and say, you know what, here's what works for me and what doesn't, because no one's going to know that if we don't let them know what good looks like to us. And that is creating those boundaries. And so I talk about drawing your line in the sand, letting people know what's comfortable. And if you're not able to do that, who are your Who's your squad? In the memo, I talk about your squad. Who are those people that you trust inside the workplace that maybe you have the conversation with them and they can have different conversations? So just knowing, again, that there are various ways and resources that we can uh, utilize that time, but we don't have to feel guilt or shame or a responsibility to be somebody's teacher and give them the homework, right? Like we can really now start to center ourselves and figure out what healthy looks like for us. And if healthy is not engaging, then that's not on the job description. I don't think any of us were hired. Many of us were not hired to to be the educators of all things race related in the workplace. Now, if you want to cut the check and uh, this is an additional job role, then that's a different kind of conversation. (laughs) Yeah, for me, I think it was also just realizing that even if there was good intentions, it uh, you know, on the the employer's part or people in the workplace's part, it was that sense of, am I just the person who makes you feel comfortable enough to talk about this? Like, am I that, you know, people say they have one black friend, am I the black work friend? Or am I the senior leader black woman who you can sort of look to and say, well, we're doing something right if Mandy's here and she's doing okay. I have to unpack all of that. But I think back on my corporate experiences, the higher in the ranks I got, the more it felt like I became that token, that like, that pet, you know, there's this, yeah, there's this whole idea of black women in the workplace kind of being a pet one day and then a threat the next day. And oh, man, if I was in, that was the exact thing that happened to me. I can't even, I don't even know if I've unpacked that yet. But I, I totally agree. It's like, the willingness to draw a line in the sand, like you said, set a boundary and not talk, not show up until you're, like you said, psych- psychologically safe enough to do so. And we can create that for ourselves. And I think giving ourselves permission to do that, right? Because we know what it's like to walk on eggshells at work. We know what it's like when we're not creating boundaries. So let's flip it. Let's give it a chance, right? I invite people to think about what if you haven't been creating boundaries, what's that one step? What's that boundary that you can create to help center you because we're not going to be our healthiest selves if we're constantly um, walking on those eggshells and pretending that some of these things are not affecting us because I, I make the joke sometime Mandy is like no we're not angry black women at work but when we go home some of our family members might see an angrier side right because you're <laughs> you're taking all of that from one place that we can't express ourselves and articulate what's going on now we take it home and then the other part of it it's chronic stress in our bodies which is making us not be able to live our most healthiest lives on this planet because of all that chronic stress so our life's our life really depends on it yeah you're absolutely right and our happiness like our family's happiness let's talk about you are more than magic I love the concept of this book, especially being targeted toward young black women, right? Young, I'm thinking children, like adolescent age, like teenage. I want every little girl and teenage girl to know that they are more than magic. Talk to me about that book and what it's all about and and what made you want to write that next? Yes, that's uh, my third book that just came out uh, with Penguin Teen. Thank you for it. I'm just so incredibly proud of You Are More Than Magic. It's actually... um, I, I like to say that it's a younger, a young adult version of the memo, 
So I thought about what were the things that I needed to hear at 15, at 13, being you know, a black girl in a predominantly uh, growing up in a white town, but often being the only black girl on your on your teams, in your classrooms, those sorts of things. And some of those early experience start to dictate who we show up as in our adult life, right? And I wanted to be able to talk to young girls to say, you know what, what you're doing right now, it's not magic, it's resilience, it's hard work, it's dedication, it's not luck, right? You're not some magical um, fairy for for people to look at. I know we use the term black girl magic as endearing, which it's very, very much is, but any black woman that's got where she is today is not magic. Right. It's hard work. It's it's grit. It's um, a community invested in her. And we're so much more than that. And I just wanted young girls to know that they could take up space right now. They just have to decide how much space they want to take up. They have a voice right now. What does it look like to have those conversations when their classmate says something that doesn't feel good? Maybe it's about their hair or their name or how they show up. What does how do you respond? You know, you don't have to tie your worth to somebody's ignorance. You know, all the little things that we probably needed to hear things like courage. But then also I wrote the book in a way in which adults in their lives or educators could also engage and read this book because we do ha- they do have voices and we want them to have healthy tools to be able to engage and show up in the spaces that they need to as their full selves, not shrinking because we know what it feels like as adults when our voices are shrunk in the workplace. And sometimes those things happen as teenagers and we just want to make sure that that's not happening to them so that they can be their best selves. Yeah, I love that idea. I think one of the things for me growing up was sometimes the sometimes the voices that tell us as young black women to go with it, go with the flow, just be grateful. You know, here's your award. So pat on the head. Aren't you magical? All that. Sometimes that can come from people who look like us um, from family. You know, for me, it certainly did. And I wonder, like, do you have any advice for this next next generation of young black women who I just feel like are going to be a freaking force of nature? And I hope they're not going to even know what imposter syndrome is. They're just going to be like, what? You're not going to pay me well? Bye-bye. But I, I worry a little bit about that, like that friction between generations. There you have a whole other generation who was told a completely different way um, of how to be. And then you have this newer generation coming up who, who is going to hopefully know a lot different because they're going to read You Are More Than Magic. But like, do you have any advice for that or any thoughts on that? You know what? Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because as I wrote the book, I was constantly thinking about the generational gap, right? Because you think about for some of our some of our elders, they taught many of us be seen and not heard, right? Or sometimes they use language like speak up girl or shut up or know your play, you know, all these different things that are, you know, social media wasn't necessarily a thing for some generations. So they don't understand the pressure that these young girls may be under right now. And so instead of me showing up to the book and being like, when I was your age, I decided to do a bunch of roundtable discussions with black girls across the country. And I sat and asked them questions about what they are experiencing. What are what are the pain points? And and I wrote from their, from their pain points. And I talked about my experiences around those and things. And so one of the big, one whole topic is difficult conversations. And I talked to them about it because I told them there's people in your life that may not have the tools they need to help you be your best self. So don't let them dictate, um, you know, how you show up in the world, because it's not that they don't want you to be seen or use your voice. They just might not know that it's possible. Right. And so I also write to the parent and the guardians to say, 
you know, don't silence your young girl's voice. If she's saying something, hear her out, right? So that you can have a dialogue. Um, and I think that that's crossing the intergenerational gap so that we can all sit together and say, listen, this is hard out here sometimes, but we, you deserve to be in this space. You deserve to be in every room that you're in, but not every space deserves to have you. And the earlier a young black or brown girl can know that, the moment she can say peace, that she doesn't have to just stay here and, and participate in this, you know, oppression, but that she can find those spaces that celebrate her, right? Or uh, when I was younger, my father always had to go and talk to one particular teacher because she was always singling me out as the only Black girl in class. So when those things happen, having the language to be able to articulate that sometimes things are race related, but it doesn't dictate your worth. And I think young girls just need to know that early on. Yeah. And if it's not, I, I love what you said. I want to like go back to that because I just feel like I want to put it on a poster and hang it on my wall. But it was about people around you may not have the tools that, that they need to help you be the best for something like that. So such an incredible way to, to like a mind shift, you know, how to shift your mindset around, okay, even if someone around you is saying one thing, you don't always have to internalize that. Or going to people who may just be, you know, your family or your friends at school, the world gets so much bigger, you know, once you get out of high school, even and through college, and then the working world, and then finding the people who do have who who are healthy enough themselves to be able to pour into you, you know what I mean? And like surrounding yourself, it may take a while for me, I feel like it took me years and years to collect the right little group of gems, you know what I mean? But when you find your chosen family in that way, and it's like a collection of mentors, like colleagues, um, new friends, but yeah, people who you sort of surround yourself with who are who are able to give you what you need and echo back to you how much you're capable of. That's such a beautiful, beautiful message. So what does this look like for you? I feel like you should be at every high school across America, like doing talks and stuff, but how are you reaching these teens? Yeah, you know, it's been a different um, process having, well, when the memo came out, the book came out before the pandemic, then right within came out during the pandemic. And now you are more than magic. It's a new group of people. So the one thing that I've uh, demographic. So I'm starting to, I did an event with Black Girls Rock last week, which was really awesome. They have a, a Black Girls Lead program. And one of their alums interviewed me about some of the topics in the book. But my goal is to get to every organization and school and have these conversations and also talk with parents and educators and guardians, because I think that part of our the success of young Black and Brown girls is making sure that we have the tools to be able to support them in the ways that they need to. Um, and so again, having these new tools uh, so that they can thrive and, and be their best selves right now. But so if anyone listening, if you know of any good organizations or sororities or fraternities that have you know, little sister or brother organizations, uh, these conversations need to be had because now is the time, right? And and like you said, I'm so excited with this generation because they're thinking differently, they're more inclusive. And if they just have the right curation, there's nothing that they can't do. Yeah. And I and it's 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 also I feel like on some level, maybe a little bit more difficult to convince. I'm a mom now. I don't know if you're a mom too. I have a young son. Being a parent now, I'm kind of shocked at how little I recognized how little this country, it can feel like countries, this country cares about kids in general, let alone black and brown kids. And the more I, the more I, you know, look at the world differently through my son's eyes, I'm just like, damn, why don't we do more? And 
I can just see already the challenge of convincing. I mean, it's one thing to convince a company to invest in like having Amanda Hearts come and speak to their ERG or whatnot. But how like I'm just begging everyone listening to just think about how we are like those organizations that are working with black girls and black girl empowerment and, and leadership and black, you mentioned black girls rock, which is incredible. But how are we supporting and showing up for those organizations and, and showing that we care about the work that we care about investing more in and young women of color. So ugh, I just want to put them all in like little snow globes and protect them from everything. But. Uh, you know, one thing I'll say really fast, Mandy, is that when I did the roundtables with the uh, black girls from different parts of the country, and you know, one thing I asked them, what would you want people to know about you and how to engage in the, regardless of where I spoke to them and where they live in the country, they said they just want to be seen. They want people to treat them like they treat their daughters and their sons and just be seen. And it, it broke my heart that even at 13 and 14 and 21, that they feel that like not being seen. Right. And I, and I use this book as a protector, like even on those days where they don't see you know that we always see you. You're always seen and you're not hidden. You don't make me cry, Minda, but that's okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your, your beautiful work with, with Brown Ambition, the BA fam. You have to go to MindaHearts.com and check out all of her incredible work. What else can we tell people about you? Go pick up the memo. It's called The Memo, What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table. Also, we talked about The Right Within and your newest book, You Are More Than Magic. Minda Hearts, thank you so much for joining Brown Ambition. Hey, BA fam, we could not do this show without your support or the support of our team behind the scenes. The Brown Ambition podcast is produced by Cumulus Podcast Network. It's edited by the wonderful Imani Crosby and produced by Tanya Bustos. Dennis Stemplinski is our in-house tech guru, and I am Mandy Woodruff-Santos, your co-host, and I will see y'all next week. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.